Hello and welcome to episode episode 33 of the Ecuador Insider Podcast. I'm Jesse Bayer, joined as always by my business partner, Darnell Dunn. We are coming to you today on May 11th, 2017. Um, have a really cool guest uh, for you tonight who we'll get to momentarily. Um, as always, you can reach us or find us on our website at abequador.com. That's A as in Apple, B as in boy, Ecuador.com. 800 number from the States and Canada, 888-999-0948. And of course, our email info at abequador.com. So we are joined tonight by Gregory Deal, and um, I'm really excited about bringing you this particular guest tonight. Um, because he has a little bit of an experience in just about everything um, I think our listeners are interested in. Um, you know, he's an entrepreneur. He's uh, a voluntarist, which I appreciate. <laughs> um, he has a ton of experience in sales. He's, an, he's a successful author. Um, as he describes it currently, he is homesteading in uh, Vilcabamba, Ecuador, sort of out there, out there building, uh, building with his own hands. Uh, he's a traveler. He's lived in uh, 50 or more countries, a multiple passport holder, um, and he has a lot of experience with branding. Um, he's helped people get uh, second passports, etc. So really, really interesting bio. Um, I'm going to just actually read Gregory's bio, bio uh, out of his book, which is Brand Identity Breakthrough, um, very quickly, and then um, we'll get right into it. Uh, raised in California, Gregory Deal soon embarked on a global quest for learning, self-discovery, entrepreneurship, and inquiry. Since then, Gregory has lived and worked in 50 countries and continues to help others along the path of self-fulfillment through exploration. Gregory's books, Brand Identity, Identity Breakthrough and Travel as Transformation, are Amazon bestsellers. His podcast, Uncomfortable Conversations with Gregory, taps into the core of self. As an educational sales consultant, he helps entrepreneurs prepare complex value messages across many mediums. He is the co-founder of Identity Publications. In his free time, Gregory kidnaps felines from the streets around the world. Also, interestingly enough, Gregory's company uh, published the book of, um, of uh, um, Olivier Wagner, who we had on the show um, recently, the book called U.S. Taxes for Worldly Americans. So interesting synchronicity there. Gregory, without further ado, thanks for joining us tonight, and uh, how are you? I'm doing great. It's a wonderful evening here in Vilcabamba, where the weather is perfect, and I get to breathe clean air every day. <laughs> and Darnell, what's, what's, what's life like in Cuenca? You have a full stomach. I screwed you guys by pushing back the time of the podcast. Thank you for bearing with me there, guys. Uh, what's good, Darnell? Uh... Well, my stomach is still empty because the uh, sandwich shop that I was going to closed early, but that's uh, neither here nor there. I'm a big boy. I'll, I'm, I'll uh, pull my pants up and get it done. Uh, no, everything's uh, good over here in Cuenca, and uh, I am uh, just wanted to thank Gregory for joining us on the show tonight. Awesome. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of different places that we could start, obviously, Um I think maybe maybe uh, you know before we get into some of your background, it might just be interesting for people to hear um, as somebody who currently resides in Vilcabamba, you know, a place that a lot of people are interested in who are looking at Ecuador, um, and someone who's seen so much of the world. It might be interesting for people to hear, um, you know, what uh, what brought you ultimately to Vilcabamba and why you've decided it's a place that you can actually actually settle down for a bit. Well, it's a weird story that 
uh, is almost like a fairy tale. I started traveling when I was 18, just right out of high school, where I grew up in San Diego and was pretty miserable, more bored than anything, because I was very hungry for new experiences that I learned as quickly as possible I could not get in the comforts of California. So the first trip I ever took was to Costa Rica as soon as I got out of school, stayed there for almost a year. I felt this new kind of invigoration for wanting to discover everything that could exist in the world once I had this new perspective. And then I went back to California, got pretty miserable being back in that bubble of familiarity and just became obsessed with going to as many new places as possible and really trying to understand how the world worked. And one of the very next places I went to, this was like eight or nine years ago, uh, was Vilcabamba, Ecuador, which I originally read about on Mike Adams' blog, the um, health ranger who used to live down here, but I guess left some years ago for reasons unknown. And I actually really liked the place. I hadn't seen that many places in the world yet at this point. I was really young. I was in my early 20s. and uh, But I, I felt very comfortable here immediately. Just the proximity to nature, the unique blend of types of people that come here from all over the world. And just it felt very raw and natural and like I was just free to live my own life, which was my primary concern at that point in my life and is still one of my primary concerns to this day. And I had a small amount of inheritance at the time. I ended up buying some land here, which is where I'm calling you from now. And immediately after that, I then realized, well, I can't settle down now. I've barely seen what the world is capable of, what exists out there. I've only seen Central and a little bit of South America. There's a whole other world out there. And, and that can be summarized as the last 10 years of going from country to country across every continent. Uh, sometimes staying for only a couple of days, sometimes staying for several months at a time. And now I've been to, I think, exactly 50 countries. I think Chile was country number 50 for me, which I hit before returning here to Vilcabamba to actually start homesteading, building on my land and putting down some roots here. Interesting. So so it's been a better part of a decade since you've sort of lived somewhere uh, full time? Well, full-time is hard to describe for somebody who moves around a lot, and I think a lot of the terms that we use to describe people's lifestyles no longer really apply, just like a traditional concept of employment or even traditional entrepreneurship doesn't necessarily apply anymore. Like, I don't know how many hours a week I work because the lines really blur for me. I work on what I feel like working on when I feel like working on it, so it's always different. Very nice. And, and you know, that's sort of, that's a sense of freedom certainly economic freedom, perhaps geographical freedom as well, that a lot of people yearn for. I mean, you know, as you described it, the ability to work on what you want to work on when you want to work on it is, um, you know, something that everybody wants, I think. And, you know, it's kind of exceptional because not that many have achieved. How, how have you managed to achieve that? Uh, I first got really good at convincing strangers to give me money. That was a pretty important part of it, which I had since learned was called sales. I didn't know that at first, but even when I was a teenager, I used to go out onto the streets of San Diego and, and play my acoustic guitar for tips, and 
I would see already patterns and like what songs I would play at what time of day and what kind of clothing I was wearing and what kind of personality I displayed that would optimize the amount of tips that people would give me. And so I, I learned there's a subtle psychology to getting people comfortable and excited and eager to give you money or to, to buy a product or a service. I went into education for a while. I did the English as a foreign language teaching thing for a couple of years that a lot of people do to make money while they travel. But even with that, I got bored real quickly. I taught in schools in first Thailand, which is the kind of place most people do it. Then I did Iraq and Italy, each time always trying to look for, you know, what's what's the next big experience I can have and learning about how education was done in each of these very different cultures taught me a lot about how society works and most importantly, how to communicate to people, how to get important ideas out to people, which is obviously applicable in the world of sales and marketing. And that's why my first book was a book about branding, because I got really good at helping people send a specific kind of message. Yeah. Uh, you know, speaking of that, Gregory, you know, a lot of people that we uh, contact and a lot of people who are tuning to the podcast tonight are really interested in starting businesses here in Ecuador. Uh, you know, in your business, what are some common pitfalls um, that your clients run into in terms of starting business, you know, in a foreign country? And, you know, what are some of, what's some of the advice that you give them to, to help avert those, avert those kinds of pitfalls? Well, it sort of depends what you mean by starting a country and by in a, uh, sorry, starting a company, not starting a country, though I do know one guy who is literally starting a country. His name is Viet Jedlicka, and he's trying to start Lieberland, the micronation in Eastern Europe. Sorry, starting a company and in a foreign country can mean different things. Uh, because if you're familiar with with what is called flag theory, a lot of people will register their company in a country where they're not actually operating the company because there are certain tax and legal benefits that can come with that depending on how you structure it. And registering a company, as far as I'm concerned, doesn't count as actually starting a business. Uh, that's just making it official, right? Just putting it on the books somewhere. To me, a business is a systematic exchange of value. If you are exchanging value in any kind of systematized way, you are an entrepreneur and you have a business, even if you don't think of it that way. Or if you do your business online, it hardly matters what country you're in, right? Except when you need to coordinate things like time zones and language barriers, and having a decent enough internet connection to get on a Skype call with someone. So I would say the biggest obstacles to, quote, starting a business in, quote, a foreign country are the same obstacles that you face starting a business anywhere, which is that most people don't know what their business is. They don't know what the primary value of it is, and therefore they cannot optimize their business around that. They don't know why people like they do what what they do, and they don't know what makes it unique, and they don't know how to communicate those things. So if people just got better at that, all the other little logistical details would hardly matter at all. I think that's a. Uh, I think that's hundred percent true. Cool. So getting you, you mentioned a minute ago, um, in 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 your answer to the previous question, um, you know that you picked up uh, sales from your experiences in these foreign countries, um. What's the uh, what's the punchline? What, what tell tell people about uh, about about sales and and sort of what you what you picked up along the way? What what have, what have you learned, or do people need to buy the book? People should definitely buy both of my books. That goes without saying. Brand identity breakthrough and travel as transformation. But they're I mean everything I've done professionally in my life 
really is follows a series of principles about helping people create new ways of thinking that didn't exist before, which might be abbreviated as saying helping them form their own culture beyond the default arbitrary one they happen to pick up growing up in the country they happen to be born, which is a major major theme of the book Travel is Transformation, that to me travel wasn't just about seeing cool places on earth or having a really good time or becoming a worldly person. It was about really understanding what makes people act the way they do. Why does a person who grows up in China think and act totally differently than a person who grows up in Peru, right? Obviously, there are genetic differences, but Beyond that, their behavior is shaped just by the experiences they have, the people around them that have been these values that have been passed on for generations upon generations that people rarely ever even question or that they hold up as sacred in some way. This is our tradition. You know, these are our customs. We have to maintain them. Why? Why aren't people free to just choose how they're going to live their own lives? And I mean, it sounds silly to put it in the context of, like, if you think of the used car salesman who's trying to get you to drive away in a specific car, sales, to me, is is the process of putting a new idea in someone's head and convincing them to act on that idea. And that can be anything from the used car to what your purpose in life is. It can be absolutely anything. If I have successfully convinced you of something you didn't know about before we started talking and you are going to act differently because we talked, I have sold you on something. And sometimes that involves the exchange of money which can be really useful if you're an entrepreneur who produces a unique, invaluable, and potentially complex product that you don't know how to convince people the value of. Very interesting. Darnell, you want you got a question or you want me to continue? No, no that just, um, just a comment really quickly. That reminds me of, um, of, a, uh, of a manager that I used to have in, in my prior life in financial services. And he used to he would always talk about the difference between sales and marketing. And uh, it always really stuck with me. He said, you know, sales is, uh, sales is me getting on my, on, on one knee and asking my wife to marry me. Marketing is how she got me to do that. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And um, Gregory, would you say then that, you know, your, I guess, you know, you, maybe you, maybe you sort of wrote a book about this to some degree. So maybe it's a, <clears throat> a silly question, but it sounds to me like those experiences you had in travel was were really self-discovery and you kind of discovering your mission in life and why why you're here on this planet at this time. Would you um, d- describe it that way or care to expand on that? Well, everybody needs mirrors to kind of show them the reflection of their actions. And I think the greater the diversity you have in your external experiences, the more of your internal self is revealed. And a very wise person once told me that there are really only two spiritual paths in life. And one is the path of denial, which is your typical monk who goes and meditates in a cave for 50 years and finds himself when he's removed all distraction from his experiences. And the other is the path of indulgence, the kind of person who wants every possible experience because every new bit of information he adds to his mental map of reality, the more complete the picture he has of himself. And that's the idea I sort of embraced with 
my travels over the last decade and is a very strong theme in my book where I try to encourage people. It's not about the travel per se. It's not about this culture we've built up of getting on planes and living out of a backpack and sleeping in hostels and, and checking out fantastic beaches in Thailand. It's more just about embracing as many uncomfortable, strange, diverse experiences that you didn't even know could exist before, that your brain has no way of properly categorizing until you've become familiar with them. And when you do that over and over again, constantly push your limits of experience, which can be done in a million different ways, it's obviously not just limited to the act of travel, you become more complete as a person and you know yourself to a much greater degree. It's beautiful. It's inspiring. I, I like uh, talking about your philosophy makes me not want to jump into some of these topics, uh, more mundane topics. Um, obviously we can take this any way you guys want. Um, one thing I was interested in, however, is, um, your experiences with, I mean, flag theory you mentioned, um, and, you know, obviously you're a practitioner of that because, you know, you've, uh, I don't know, I don't know so much in your entrepreneurial business life, but certainly, you know, you've mentioned you're a multiple passport holder. Um, you've helped people also accomplish that. Can you talk about that a little bit and maybe some of the advantages you see in some of those things? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's all very connected for me because to me, something like getting multiple passports and establishing a lifestyle in many different parts of the world is just another way of expanding your identity. Passports just happen to be one of the primary ways we have an official identity on this planet. I was originally American, and so by default, my allegiance is to this collective group identity called the United States of America, which has its advantages and also a lot of disadvantages. If you have multiple passports, you have the benefits of choice. You get to choose how you want to be perceived in the world. You get different travel benefits, obviously different visa-free entrances to different countries, and people treat you differently. And if one of the countries you're ever allegiant to becomes too much of a burden for you, like if the United States decides to go to war with anyone anytime soon, I might not want to be American anymore. And then I have the choice of the other countries I've aligned myself with. And I'm, I'm currently working on my fourth passport now. I have the United States, Armenia, which I got through descent because my grandmother was Armenian. I have Georgia, the country, not the state, just above Armenia and below Russia. And the next one I'm working on is Peru, which I'm particularly excited about because I want to spend a lot of time in South America. So it makes sense for me to have a South American citizenship. It makes my life here easier and just gives me that many more options for the kind of life I want to live. And, you know, you made an interesting comment to me when we um, saw each other briefly recently. Um, you know, you mentioned there's really some disadvantages to getting a passport uh, in a place that you live. In other words, becoming a citizen where you actually live. Can you um, expand, expound on that a little bit? Well, there can be. And the idea behind the concept of flag theory is that by spreading yourself out, you tend to get a lot more advantages in life. It could be something as simple as taxes, because uh, you mentioned Olivier Wagner's book, U.S. Taxes for Worldly Americans, which he and I worked closely on to create and publish and market that book. And it's all about this concept that American expats should be familiar with, although a lot of them don't seem to be, that as an American, you are taxed on your worldwide income just by being an American citizen. If you left the U.S. decades ago and haven't set foot, haven't earned a dollar there, 
have no real logistical ties to the United States except you still hold the passport, you are supposed to pay a significant amount of your money in taxes back to the country that you were born in, which a lot of people would realistically consider quite weird and strange and unfair. And so his book is all about, you know, how do you legally minimize your taxes as an American who lives in another country? Uh, and the same can be true with a lot of other countries, specific laws they have that apply to, you know, depending on if you actually live in the country or not. If you're a tourist in a country, you're a lot less liable for certain things, uh, particularly if you like spending time in countries where maybe things can be a little bit corrupt, like you, you might have more of a tr chance of getting sued or going to jail in specific circumstances if you are a resident or a citizen of that country where something unfortunate happened to happen to you. But if you're a tourist, it's more likely you just get deported or something. And so there are certain little safety nets that are built into being a tourist in a place and not having all your eggs in one basket. Now, I happen to love the countries Armenia and Georgia. They're two of my favorite countries, and I'd like to spend several months there at a time throughout my life, if not eventually even live there for long periods of time or own property there. But I don't want it to be my only choice. I want to know that I'm free to move about the world uh, wherever my heart takes me, you know, wherever I see an opportunity to be. But in general, you know, I, I think people need to not be so invested in the idea of, of having everything be tied to one part of the world or one country, even if that country happens to be in an advantageous position right here and right now, it doesn't necessarily mean that it always will be. And now, Gregory, what um, inspired you to plant flags in, uh, in, the, in the four countries, uh, or the three countries, you know, we'll subtract the U.S. from there since you were born there, um, you know, Obviously, you're in the process of doing that with in Peru and Georgia and Armenia. Could you expand upon that a little bit? Well, most of it was because I could. You know, it, it can be difficult to get a second passport, difficult and or expensive and or time consuming. Uh, the, a lot of people now know about these economic citizenship options where a lot of Caribbean islands were, will sell you citizenship for six figures or more. Or if you become a resident of many parts of Europe and live there for 10 years, then they'll consider making you a citizen. And it's different for each country. The specific amount of time you have to spend there, uh, you may have to make some kind of investment. Like now to qualify for residency here in Ecuador, I have to own property, which I do. I haven't applied for my residency yet. I'm not sure if I will. It sort of depends on my plans for how long I'm going to stay here. Every country has very complex, always changing rules that are too difficult for most people to figure out. Armenia was a pretty easy one for me because it's one of a handful of countries that have a citizenship by descent program. So if you've got a grandmother or a grandfather from a place like Ireland or Italy or certain other parts of Europe, I think it's mostly confined to Europe and parts of Africa that these programs exist, you can, if you can prove your lineage there with birth certificates and various other documents, within a couple of months, they'll be happy to give you a passport. That's the easiest way to get one in general. I just am lucky enough that I have a grandmother from one of these countries, even if the Armenian passport isn't a very strong one in general. It's still cool to have. Uh, the rest were just, it's funny because you mentioned sales. For a while, I was running the sales operation for, I think, another guest you had on the podcast, Andrew Henderson of Nomad Capitalist, who, which is sort of a consultancy for these offshore opportunities to let people know about legal strategies that they didn't know 
exist. And I think that's really useful just from the perspective of knowing that all these opportunities nobody told you about are there. Like, I never hear anybody talking about Peruvian passports, which you can get after only two years of residency there. That's extremely fast compared to most of the countries that require five to ten years of residency. But nobody ever really seems to talk about that. Uh, but as beyond the level of just getting the idea that these strategies exist, I highly recommend you know, people just sort of look into local legal counsel for each of these countries, because if you try to go through a middleman, it's highly likely that you will either get completely tricked by somebody who doesn't actually know what they're doing, or you will end up paying five times more than you would have to if you just went to that country, found a competent lawyer, and researched the requirements it would take to get residency or a passport or set up a company or whatever it is you want to do there. But that that is where I learned about a lot of these strategies, just by working with guys like Andrew Henderson and a lot of other very prominent figures in this space. Great, thank you. And um, how do you how do you see that landscape globally? Um, do you take the position that it seems like there's a coordinated global effort to make all of these things more difficult all the time? Whether it's whether it's passports, whether it's taxes, whether it's controls of any kind, and sort of the walls are closing in, or do you take the approach that? You know, maybe, you know, I don't want to put words in your mouth. You'll say whatever you want, of course. But, you know, maybe that, you know, we sort of more create our own reality and that um, there's always opportunities and there's always options. And, and that's kind of, uh, you know, an ongoing process in a more positive light. Well, there are always opportunities. It's just that the opportunities are always changing. There are always upswings and downswings, which is why you can't just look at things how they are now. You kind of have to look at the, tra the trajectory that things are on and, you know, what your time preference is and what your purpose for getting involved in a specific country is. Like, I love living in Vilcabamba. I don't necessarily know if I want to be doing my business and my banking and, and my citizenship here in Ecuador. That might not be as strong a position to be in as just being someone who lives here because I, I like the culture here. I like the proximity to nature. And I found a unique blend of elements here that I really haven't found anywhere else in the world. So if I can pick and choose the best of each place, it, that just requires, you know, being a little knowledgeable, though, of what is possible. And that's difficult because there are 196 countries on this planet and growing. Again, if you count my friend who's trying to start a country in Europe, you, it's, it's impossible to know about all these things as they happen the moment they become available. So, but, but it's just like anything else. Like if you're an entrepreneur, you probably already have the mindset that it's not a good idea to only have one source of income because no matter how good that thing is, you know, if, if you're extremely good at a skill set that you can charge a lot of money per hour for right now, it doesn't mean you'll always be able to. Market conditions change. Uh, maybe some product comes along that obsoletes what you were able to do for people and charge a lot of money for, and suddenly you can't charge it. Maybe there's a recession and nobody's buying that thing anymore. Maybe you move to a different country and nobody in the that country needs that particular skill. So you should have many ways of making money. You should always be developing skills and abilities that you can monetize in some way. Well, the same is true with anything else. If you're able to move around freely, why only have a home in one place? Why only speak one language? Why only make connections and friends and business contacts in one part of the world? Why not do it in as many places as you can while you can? And then no matter what changes, you at least have options. 
It is, um, it is quite enjoyable to talk to somebody uh, as ideologically aligned as I am and uh, as ideologically aligned with me as you are and someone as articulate as you. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Um, I want to jump back for a second. You know, you strike me and I don't obviously know you well at all, but just talking to you on this podcast, um, you know, you strike me as very authentic. Um, how would you... How would you characterize the importance of authenticity in branding and marketing, but more really branding and, and growing growing a, a successful enterprise? I think, one, you have to be authentic if you're personally going to be fulfilled with what you're doing in the long run. I've known and worked with and for many guys who uh, monetarily might be doing fairly well. It seems like their business is a success if you look at the numbers, but they're freaking miserable every single day of their life because they are trying to uphold a facade they have created that has grown beyond their control. So just for the sake of personal fulfillment, I think if you're being anything but authentic, you're really shooting yourself in the foot in the long run. And then two, you're much more likely to be successful externally if you're doing something that is authentically fulfilling to you and representative of you and your passions because people have a way of recognizing passion and responding to it if they are also authentic people. So in other words, if you're being inauthentic, yeah, you can probably fool a lot of the people a lot of the time, but those are mostly also going to be inauthentic people who don't know who they are and what they want. And I think when you reach a certain point in your own personal development, there's really no other option except to be as much of yourself as possible and to find the environment that allows you to do that. So for me, a place like Vilcabamba serves those needs really well because it's the kind of place where people come from all over the world and despite their very different backgrounds, it seems like they're all kind of here for a similar reason, which is to live an authentic life, be left alone, uh, avoid drama as much as possible, although that's, you know, as a totality, that's impossible. There's always some drama anytime you bring people together. But, you know, e even though... Vilcabamba has like a lot of hippies that I don't necessarily agree with on every one of their conspiracy theory beliefs or something. I can still get along with them because I feel like we are here just to enjoy being here, you know, and that's rare to find that mixture of people who are living life really authentically. Almost everywhere else I go in the world, I feel like people are putting out a facade of trying to live up to some weird cultural standard they learned of how they were supposed to be. And that's also why I like the new the book publishing industry I'm in now because, you know, it, it was pers first personally very rewarding for me to realize that I could write a book and get really complex, deep messages out to people in my own authentic voice and publish them independently without having to go through the filter of a publisher. And then to help other people do the same thing, it sort of goes back to that, you know, creating your own authentic culture by getting your unconventional, unique, personal message out there, which we've done with guys like Olivier and a lot of other people now, it's we're, we're living in a rapidly changing world where that's much easier now than I think it ever has been before, where you sort of just had to fit in and go with the flow or you were screwed because you would be ostracized from society. Now we're all creating our own societies as we go. Yeah, the it's interesting too. I mean, the internet has changed the game so dramatically. I think that really goes a long way to what you're talking about now. I mean, the options now are just limitless. I mean, if we were living, you know, even 20 years ago, um, the cost of entry, the barriers to entry to doing something were just so incredibly much higher than they are now with the with the ability to 
uh, you know, information essentially is, is free at this point in the world. Um, you can just access it via, you know, your fingertips and then, uh, you know, launching, launching, you know, marketing, uh, advertising, all of it. You now can, you know, you, you can do a lot of that free through social media and all this sort of stuff. So it's just such a, it's such a game changer. And then you get into things like cryptocurrencies and just all the sort of stuff that the internet has allowed, um, it's, and it's such an interesting juxtaposition too, because the internet is allowed for so much freedom in so many ways. Um, and, and the rate of change, sort of the, the, um, the rate of, of, uh, of, uh, well, evolution is not the word I'm looking for, but, um, the amount of new creation that's taking place is so interestingly just juxtaposed to the sort of control systems and mechanisms that seem to be, you know, getting stronger and stronger by the day as well. And then on the other side, you've got all these people working to sort of bust those systems with new technologies and new inventions. Just such an interesting time to live in. And yeah, the world is going to keep changing faster and faster, not just because, like, obviously our computing power grows exponentially every decade or so, right? Like stuff like that is easy to quantify and see the trend we're on, but society changes in a very similar way because we're having cross-cultural influences that could not have existed until this point in time with the communication that the inter in the internet affords for us or just how easy it is to get on a plane to the other side of the world, which is why you now have people from other parts of the planet all mixing and mingling together in ways that wouldn't have been very easy before. So if you can imagine that same principle taken up several levels, what is the world going to look like in a generation from now? It's really hard to predict because new changes are happening faster than we ever could have prepared for before. So the only way you can prepare is just to be a very flexible, very open-minded person. Yeah, that's right. I couldn't agree more. And I think we also have more power in that than we think as far as what the world's going to look like in a generation. Um, I think like even as individuals, we are just much more powerful. We have much more influence on those things than we than we realize we do. Well, at a certain point, you got to stop being just the consumer of all this free information and become a producer of information in whatever way is appropriate for you. It could be writing a book. It could be starting a YouTube channel. It could be just whatever your business is. You're creating information with every product or service you offer. And eventually you get really clear on what kind of information, what kind of message it is you want to be sending because you're very authentic and you know who you are and you know what you want. Hey, uh, Gregory, could you talk a little bit about your own experience um, coming to that point of being a consumer of that kind of information to becoming a producer of it and how, um, you know, traveling, you know, visiting 50 countries has impacted you or, you know, what role that's played in, in that process for you? Yeah, well, I think the longer you've been alive, the more you should have something of value to say. Not just of value, but of unique value. Because the more life experience you have, the less likely it is that somebody else has lived the exact same life that you have. Now, I took a very aggressive approach to this, trying to cram as much life experience as I could once I reached adulthood. But no matter what specific life you have lived, you have developed skills. You have had, you know, interesting experiences. You have met people. You have a unique perspective on something, even if it's a very familiar thing. And if you can figure out what that is, that is unique or uncommon or just, you know, slightly personal to you about your perspective on things, 
and other people would have a reason to find that perspective valuable, you should start talking about that thing. You should be confident enough to say, well, here's what I've figured out so far. Here's my perspective based off of the unique experiences I've had, and I bet there's somebody out there who would benefit from this information. Now, people choose to become experts on specific niches, like I could try to become the second passport guy, but I wouldn't ever want to limit myself to just that. Like, the breadth of my experience is much larger from there. That's just one particular thing that I might have more insight on than the average person, right? But that's not what makes me unique or the thing that I want to devote my life to. It's constantly changing with every new experience I have. I can't imagine what I'm going to be like when I'm 50 because I will have twice as much experience then as I do now. And I will have a very different way of looking at things and a lot more to talk about. But in the meantime, even now at 28, which in most people's eyes is still a baby, and there are people who have accomplished way more interesting and impressive things than I have, it doesn't matter. I still have unique things I get to talk about because I have had unique experiences. And even if that doesn't make me the best in the world at something, the point where I could go out there and brand myself as the world's leading expert on some specific genre of knowledge, I get to say, I'm Gregory Deal, and I've done a lot of interesting things, and my brain has processed it in such a way that you might gain from that perspective. Here it is. Books are my medium, but the, what's yours? What's your message? What's the best way to get it out to people? Understood. That was great. Thank you. Okay. Um, you want to talk a little bit about, I, I, I think your model is really cool um, for how you're going about uh, your publishing company. Do you want to talk about that for a minute? Yeah. Identity Publications was inspired. I mean, first it was my books that just sort of came about as an accident. I was actually approached by a woman who promised to be able to help me write my branding book and ended up stealing about five grand of my money. And at that point, I kind of had to decide, well, I think I could figure this out on my own, actually. I think I could figure out how to both write a good book and publish it and make it relatively successful just through channels like Amazon. And that's partially because I have a background in sales. So I understand, you know, I'm, I'm far from some internet marketing guru, but I'm pretty good at getting people to see the value behind things and convincing them to spend a fair amount of money on things. So that was the approach I took with it. How do I create a product that is uniquely valuable and then convince people that it's worth the 10 or $20 they might spend on a book? And that worked pretty well. And so I repeated it again with my travel book. I'm also now working on a third book, which is geared towards unconventional personal development for intelligent young people, for lack of a better phrase. I'm still working on the title. And I realized I could do the same thing for other people too, as long as they had something worth saying that had not already been said. So now my partner Anastasia and I, who is visiting uh, Vilcabamba as well, she's been down here for a few months with me. She's the adventurous type as well. We have got it down to a pretty good systematic approach that if somebody's got a message that is worth putting into a book, and it could be that they're an entrepreneur who wants to share their unique approach to something or their perspective on something, or it could just be an individual who's got a really compelling message based off of their life experiences, we now have the skills and the resources to turn that into a book that is not just you know somebody's ramblings, but an actual professional quality book that has been edited and proofread and 
right, and checked against market forces over and over again to make sure that people are actually going to respond to this book the way they want it to, and then publish it and get it out in front of the market to the point where it's actually selling a decent amount, earning ongoing revenue, and promoting that person as the author of that book and getting them to the professional position they want to be in. It's like that saying, the book is the new business card. Having written a book on a subject like instantly elevates you to a new social status about whatever it is you wrote your book about. When did, when did you launch that company? Uh, not too long ago, formally. It was just a few months ago that we... Uh, Olivier was actually one of our first... His tax book was one of our first experiments to make sure that we could actually do this successfully with someone else's book besides our own. So my first book, Brand Identity Breakthrough, was really just like a year ago. But it's been uh, consistently successful since then. And I've only gotten better at understanding how this whole market mechanism works. And then we started talking to guys like Olivier and saying you know, it worked for us. We were pretty sure it could work for you too. And now we've got, we're working on about five different books right now, uh, ranging on subjects from unconventional personal development to aphrodisiac cookbooks to uh, retirement planning for corporate executives, like just people who previously had a lot of this expertise, but had no way to really get it out in a viable market mechanism are very happy with the results so far. Just even if they weren't making money from the book sales, they would be happy just to see their books out there and people buying them and learning the unique thing they wanted them to learn. The fact that they actually get to make money on top of this too, or possibly turn readers into clients of some kind, is a pretty good bonus on top of that. Hey, Gregory, did you, did you go to public school? It's purely, uh, purely out of curiosity. Yeah, unfortunately, I did. So you, so you know, because you, I mean, and this is just my perspective, of course, but you seem like a really free spirit. You seem like somebody who's really um, sort of well-developed in their own personal life. And um, it just seems, I don't know, it's, it's such a just juxtaposition with school. And it seems like you've just, you've done an exceptional job sort of uh, breaking free of those sort of, uh, you know, perhaps the ways that people would like, you know, to, or school and systems would like to sort of maintain your thought process and your life to be 28 years old and have the experiences and thoughts you have, I must say is actually quite impressive. Well, it's in spite of schooling, not because of it. Everything that's good about me today is more a result of the last 10 years of being away from schooling and my the influences my home culture and that's one of the major themes in my travel book and as in my experience as an educator having seen how schools are run around the world i can tell you the primary role of a school in any country i've ever seen is not to educate people or develop their intellect it is to pass on the values of their culture some of those values are pretty good values like uh, you know love your neighbor or something but Almost always, they limit the children before they ever have a choice to decide for themselves how they're going to live their own life, what they're going to care about. And in a place like China, for example, it's Orwellian in its nature, where people are absolutely brainwashed to think and act a certain way from as young as possible. Some of these kids go to school for like 16 hours a day, just being drilled over and over with the values their culture wants them to have. It's astounding and terrifying, and it almost made me want to kill myself for the six months I spent in China just being around that kind of influence. It's the kind of stuff you can't imagine from the comfort of your Southern Californian upbringing. So no college either? No. My college was the world. Very good move. What do you, I mean, what, the, what do you think? I mean, I, I have my own opinions, but I'll put it in the form of a question. 
What um what are your thoughts on the value proposition of college these days? Well, I think it's obvious that it's been going down quite a bit. It's inflated, just like currencies inflate, which isn't to say that college is a bad idea for everyone. I know a guy I went to high school with who ended up studying theoretical physics right after high school because that was what he wanted to study. He was super into it. And I always used him as the example of the guy who should go to college. Like He absolutely knows what he wants to obsess over and spend his life studying, and it's the kind of stuff he probably wouldn't get access to anywhere but a university setting. But at least 90% of other people go just because it's the most convenient default path that their society has arbitrarily set up for them. And maybe at one point it was true that it was the best way for job security or like a meaningful place in society or something. But now it probably functions much more the opposite, which is to get people into debt, get them to think in a very trapped, very limited way, and they don't get to exercise their creativity, their entrepreneurial thinking, or even just explore what they really want to do in life, even explore who they really are. So as a general rule, I would say stay very, very far away from it unless you're one of those people who is the exception and you know you want to do something that is only possible through the university path. Very good. Um, obviously, we could go on here a lot. Darnell, do you have some uh, last questions before we um, let, uh, let Gregory uh, talk a little bit about his stuff? Yeah, well, actually, I was going to – that's a perfect segue, Jesse. I was going to ask um, Gregory about his podcast. Um, that's called Uncomfortable Con- Conversations with Gregory, and uh, where our listeners can find that. Uncomfortable Conversations with Gregory started as an experiment, which came from the idea that I noticed a lot of people I talked to or met were either very confused by me or, at worst, offended by me. And I think it's because at a certain point of so intensely pursuing my own unique philosophy and way of living, I'd forgotten that most people have one very limited way of thinking about their own life, their own identity, and how things are supposed to work. So a lot of people, when they encounter someone who's doing things that seem to defy conventional categorization, uh, they don't really know how to respond to it. So the response is confusion or just uh, defense, like, that's not okay, I'm I'm offended by that. I'm I'm not I'm not going to allow that into my worldview and it makes them very uncomfortable. And the more and more I had conversations like this with people just by accident, the more I realized that there was a specific type of value that could be derived from having very targeted, very uncomfortable conversations with people where we could take some part of their psyche, some recurring thought in their mind that they did not know how to deal with and have a conversation that made it easier for them to take something that was previously uncomfortable and make it comfortable, make it part of them. So the podcast has evolved naturally just as a way to discuss these parts of life, these parts of the human psyche, the parts of society that normally we don't really address. And it's certainly a fun experiment for me because each episode I have no idea what we're going to talk about. And something interesting always ends up coming out of it depending on who I have as the guest and what thoughts have already been covered in previous episodes. So I would encourage people who want to be challenged a little bit and encouraged to think in unconventional, potentially uncomfortable ways to go check that out. You can find that on my website, which is just my name, gregorydeal.net slash 
podcast or look it up on iTunes or something. My last name is spelled D-I-E-H-L. Very nice. Great. Thanks for sharing that. Go ahead. No, I was just saying thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Um, before we let you go, Gregory, um, do you – obviously people can reach you at that website. Um, is there anything else you want to make people aware of as far as uh, businesses or books that may interest our listeners? Well, first, I'd like to encourage people to come down to Vilcabamba because now that I'm setting up my life here, literally building my home here and, and establishing a lot of connections and roots here, I want really cool neighbors. I want this to continue to be the kind of place where very self-aware very laid back and unconventional people come to be themselves. That's the kind of people I want in my physical community here. And it's the perfect kind of environment for that tailor-made community of people. And it's already got a lot of those people here, which is great. But I think we've only barely tapped the surface of what is possible in a place like this. So if you want someone like me as your neighbor, I encourage you to come and visit Vilcabamba. You obviously don't have to move down here right away, but uh, come check it out. And if you do come down to Vilcabamba, send me an email or add me on face or Facebook or something and, and let me know you're in town. I'll be happy to meet you and show you around. You can email me at contact at gregorydeal.net or just look me up on Facebook, Gregory V. Deal. And aside from that, I mean... I, I'm happy to work with more people who share my vision, my values, lifestyle or business-wise, whether that's if you've got a book in you that you want to see out there in the world and a marketplace success, or you've got some kind of impassioned business idea that you know is not being articulated as well as it could be, and you think someone like me is the right person to help you do that, if I like it, I'm going to help you make it as successful as possible. So let's get in touch and see if that works out. Very good. Um, well, Gregory, you, uh, to me, have been a fascinating guest. Um, I think uh, I really appreciate your ability to articulate a lot of these subjects um, that are you know, very interesting to me and I think very interesting to anybody who's thoughtful and uh, has a spiritual bone in their body as well. Uh, in addition, of course, the people who are, you know, in the business world or entrepreneurs. So again, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I really, really appreciate your time and, um, I look forward to, uh, hopefully, uh, doing something together in the future in one form or another. I'm sure we will have plenty more to do both in and out of Ecuador. Very good. Darnell, you want to get us, uh, get us out of here? Oh, I think we may have lost, uh, Darnell. <laughs> so, um, I will go ahead and end the show. Once again, we are. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm here. <laughs> ah, yeah, there. I was muted out. Ah, yeah. Go, go sorry ahead. about that. I was talking and then you're like, uh, Darnell's not here. <laughs> no, no, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I just first want to take the opportunity to thank Gregory for joining us, uh, in echo Jesse sentiment. Um, just really great to have you on the show today. And, um, you know, if anybody wants to be, Gregory's neighbor, we can help. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Now you, you, they, they, they know who to turn to to find their real estate, their property, if they decide to put down their roots here. We will, we will, we promise to screen people for you. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, because yeah, we, you know, we want to see those kinds of people uh, in Vilcabamba and all over Ecuador, as a matter of fact. So, um, you know, again, thank you. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us. Uh, you can reach us on our website at uh, abequador.com. That's A as in Apple, B as in boy, Ecuador.com. 
you can reach us toll free from the U.S. and Canada at 888-999-0948 or via email at info at abequador.com. Thanks for tuning in, and we look forward to hearing from you next week.